Can you hear me with your ears? Can you see me with your eyes? Can you feel the wriggling between your quivering thighs? That thing, that thing, that thing with chains. Once every millennium, something will come along when you feel it, you will know it, cause it's coming on strong. That thing, that thing, that thing with chains. Back, just relax, deep breaths, no stress. Let me come inside your mind. I promise you, it won't take long to change. You'll have it soon. You will feel something so special growing deeper within you. That thing, that thing. Welcome, one and all, welcome to episode 51 of That Thing with James J. Asher II. I'm your host, James J. Asher II. I believe that was the second time I have played the new intro song. Uh, the last time being at the beginning of the, the last episode, maybe? No, the episode before that, because the last episode I didn't play any guitar because I was in a uh, noise battle with my downstairs neighbor, which, by the way, is, it's gone fine. Uh, we we never we didn't get into a tiff or anything like that. No Tiffany's, no no tiffs. Oh, yeah, yet again. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, uh, and I don't have any guests. I haven't even bothered trying to get any guests. Well, I've been back in town for like a month, maybe. Yeah, I've been back in town for like a month, and um, it's been a very busy month, very dramatic kind of a month. Um and so I don't know what the deal is. Like, I just haven't been doing stuff. And of course, I'm at the point now um, where I feel like, uh, well, a, a waste. You know, I'm 32 years old uh, and I have like no work. Well, I mean, I I pay my bills. I've got a day job, but... Um, you know, it's part, it's a part-time day job. And, and then that's kind of limiting. And I'm like trying to think of like what else I could do that I wouldn't completely hate that is not, um, food service industry because food service or any kind of service industry, I just hate. I, I, I'm not a service industry person. I mean, I don't think anyone is really, unless you're something really special, like a cook or like a fucking great maitre d' or something at a really nice place. But uh, I like the jobs I'd be getting, restaurant jobs, would not be the nicest places because I don't have uh, a long career in it. And even if you do have a long career in it, that doesn't mean you're not going to be working in a shitty joint. Uh, so anyway, what I'm getting at is, um, you know, sometimes... You've got all the time you need, but none of the money. And sometimes you've got all the money you need um, and not the time. And then when you work in the service industry, you don't have the time or the money. And that's why part of why I hate service industry. Plus, plus like people just get shit on, especially in restaurants, but any, any service people get shit on, you know, how like Israel has mandatory military service. I think uh, the United States, I think any capitalist country should have mandatory restaurant work. Like 
you're going to have to deal with how shitty people are for two reasons. One, it, it humbles you. And, uh, and the other one is that hopefully it teaches you not to treat your servers and stuff like that, like shit later on in your life. You know, you can empathize with the kind of work they're doing and, and uh, you, you know, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I guess like some servers make a lot of money, but I have no serving experience. Um, I, I, I don't want to say I dislike work. I just dislike most types of work. I should say if there's work I enjoy, then it's work I enjoy. But, um, most of the time it's not enjoyable. Like my, my first job outside of like home, like mowing the lawns and shit like that was, um, I mean, I was still in high school, but I was a library assistant when I was, I think 15. And that was pretty fucking great. I really enjoy being around books. If I could work at like some small independent kind of a bookstore, uh, with like, um, like a alcoholic misanthropic owner. Um, I think that would be pretty fun. Like the show, uh, black books. It's this British show with this, um, Irish guy. I forget his name, but he, uh, he's got a pretty cool name. D uh, Dylan. So like Dylan, Dylan Morin, that's it. Dylan, like Dylan, and then uh, Morin, M-O-R-A-N. Yeah, that was that's a good show. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Yeah, um, and then speaking of like small, you know, kind of dumpy sort of places owned by alcoholic misanthropes, I've been watching the new... Uh, TV or, or I guess, uh, internet series of high fidelity. Um, I have to admit, I've not read the book, but I've seen the movie <laughs> many times, which I know is not an equivalent. Hopefully, you know, I know that because hopefully, you know, I love books, but uh, that's just one book I haven't read. And um, well, Hulu has uh, well, well, I guess uh, Zoe Kravitz is an executive producer on it, and she's the star, and um, and it's really, really, really good, uh, and and it's also kind of painful to watch because the characters are supposed to be like in their thirties, like early to mid thirties, and I'm in my early thirties, and. I mean, these characters feel like losers. They've got a fucking record shop in Brooklyn. They don't, I mean, I know losers of all ages, all right? It doesn't matter how fucking young you are. doesn't matter how old you are. I know a lot of babies who are losers. I mean, they shit their pants. You can't get much lower than that, right? Well, I guess you could like... um do human trafficking. That's pretty fucking low, but you know, babies, they're pretty funny, but they're also pretty stupid. They're little, little dum-dums. I mean, they have soft skulls. They don't even have necks yet. Like you have to pick them up by their soft skull and carry them around and hopefully don't like deform them, like give them a cone head. You know, some babies are born cone heads. My sister was born a cone head. Cause I guess she came out like head last or something. Maybe I, I don't know, but, um, that's what I'm talking about. You know, babies, especially newborns, they have soft skulls and you can, you can shape the skulls and some babies, they come out, uh, cone head after they get, you know, shit out of uh, their mother's vagina. Cause you know how like your poop tapers when you poo, uh, that's because your sphincters got a lot of, you know, you, your anal sphincter, it closes. Like, that's the thing. It, it, the muscle expression is when it opens up. Um, kind of like uh, the hand of a sloth. Their hands are naturally closed, 
and it, they have to exert energy to open the hand. Similar to an alligator, they have to exert energy to open it, and then it just snaps shut because the muscles are like elastic that try to keep the mouth shut. Well, vaginas are like that too. There's a vaginal sphincter, and um, when you shit out your, your transformed fetus, it might have a cone head. Uh, your, your vaginal sphincter may cause your baby's soft skull to taper, and uh, you might be a conehead. And, you know, and if you got a conehead, and if you can't even wipe your own ass, like you can't even read, you can't even speak, you're a little loser. <laughs> Babies, <laughs> you're a bunch of losers. <laughs> you can't even, you don't even know how to walk. You try to walk and your fat head just fucking pulls you down on the other side. You're like, you can't deal with gravity. <laughs> Um, and then there's old people who are losers too, like, um, like, uh, uh, people who fuck other people over people who, um, exploit people to a gross degree. I mean, everybody exploits everyone else to a certain degree. Hopefully it's a low, uh, uh, uncostly degree, but then there are some people who, cost other people everything because they're just um, using them and maybe, you know, like Amazon warehouse workers. That's a level of exploitation that is fucked up. They're being exploited. Most workers are being exploited. And, uh, you know, the people who aren't being exploited are the people who don't work. And, um, and I'm not talking about me I'm talking about like owners, the, uh, what's the word? The, uh, the owners of the means of production. So I think it's time that, uh, the proletariat unite in solidarity and peace and love and compassion and rise up and, uh, seize the means of production and I'm going to go take a piss and think about this. I'll be right back. I'm back, and I thought of a segue while I was in the bathroom, but then um, I forgot. I forgot what it was because I, I took some time to listen to what I had just recorded um, about babies and stuff like that. And I can't think of a great segue, um, but... I, I will say this about losers. I wanted to stay a little bit on the subject of losers. And I'm not going to lie. I feel kind of like a loser. And I've got great friends and family who are very supportive. And they tell me, you're doing fine. You're doing well, actually. I hear that a lot. I've got a lot of support. And and I do not take it for granted. I appreciate the support of my loved ones, friends, everyone. I love you all. Um, however, I, I understand that and I hear you. But from the inside, from where I'm standing, I, I have trouble seeing it. And, and I certainly have trouble feeling it, feeling like not a loser. And the past week, the past seven days after all the fucking drama settled down has been a sort of emotional teeter-totter for me. Um, after all the excitement was over, I've just been thinking about myself and, and how f thinking about myself, imagine that I'm self, I'm self-obsessed. Whoa, whoa, bet you didn't see that one coming. I've got my own podcast with my own name in it. <laughs> wow. Um, and, but it's funny that I should be having like an emotional teeter totter of like, um, downward spiraling, um, crippling self analysis and neurosis and analysis, uh, that I'm, I'm probably not the best person to analyze myself because of my relationship with myself. Um, but it's funny to have a 
a really great version, a really great take, a new show of um, high fidelity. High, blah, blah, high fidelity to come out because I see a lot of parallels in that show with my life. And I'm sure I know for a fact other people do that too. I was watching a few episodes with Emily and she said, this is tough because I'm feeling a parallel with, with Rob, the character Zoe Kravitz plays. And I didn't say anything, but earlier when I was watching it alone, I was thinking that exact same thing. What I just said to you a few seconds ago that I'm, I feel I can relate to that character a lot in that I've just been thinking about past um, like relationship failures, mostly relationship failures and my ever present um, existential dread, you know, for some people, they might call what I experience a quarter life crisis. But the thing is, um, I've been having, if we're going to use the term quarter life crisis, I've been having a quarter life crisis since I was 13 years old. That's when I decided um, uh, I was agnostic. That's when I decided there's no guarantee that God is real or that any anything is real. Um, and then from there on out, I've just been having a uh, kind of a midlife crisis, oh, or maybe rather an, an existential crisis. I should I should say. Um, and, and a lot of it has, it's, it's a lot less lofty. My, my concerns are a lot less lofty than, uh, the, the phrase existential crisis, um, sounds. It's more like, where am I going? What am I doing with myself? What should I be doing? And, um, and it's been like that for, um, what, how many, how long has it been? So I was 13, 23, that's 10 years, for almost 20 years. I've been having, holy shit, I've been having a quarter-life crisis for a little over 19 years. Holy hell. Uh, that has never occurred to me um, in that way before. An, a 19-year quarter-life crisis. Um which makes me think of the Rolling Stones song, 19th Nervous Breakdown. <laughs> I, I relate with that song as well. Here it comes, here it comes, here comes your 19th Nervous Breakdown. Oh, who's to blame? That girl's just insane. Well, nothing I do don't seem to work. It only seems to make matters worse for me. Yeah, I definitely relate with that song. Hey, and that's uh, with some like relationship stuff too. Um, so back to the emotional teeter-totter. How do I describe it? So you know what a teeter-totter is. It's a plank of, let's say, wood. And then there's just like a metal piece in the middle and, you know, teeters and totters like one side goes down, makes the other go up and vice versa because it's a wood plank balancing in its middle. And um, my teeter totter has been between anxiety and depression. And I don't know how much of it has to do with the fact that it's just been kind of cold lately and rainy. Maybe I'm just in hibernation mode because I certainly, even though I stay up entirely too late and don't get enough sleep just because um, I, I, I feel most at peace by the night, by the time night rolls around for some reason. Um, but anyway, I feel like I'm probably in hibernation mode because I, I want to sleep more. And then some days I actually have been sleeping more. I've been taking naps and stuff that I just don't want to ever end. And I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't really been going outside just because it's like, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to, it's, it's a pretty 
pretty chilly or, or just too wet. I haven't been going on my walks. I love going on walks and I haven't been going on them. So I'm sure that all has part of something to do with it. Um, and the fact that I was just like severely disappointed by this time last week when I was recording my last episode, just really disappointed with like a lot of things. And, um, what am I, what the fuck am I trying to say? I'm just, I think I blacked out for a second. Okay. So yeah, I've been depressed. I mean, not sad. Uh, I came up with a joke. Here it is. What's the difference between sadness and depression? Sadness feels like it'll end before you do. <laughs> now, um, I'm not as depressed right now. And depression, I know, it doesn't last forever. Hopefully, if you, you know, get things taken care of, get yourself taken care of, it won't last forever. But when you're in it, it feels like it's forever. Like, this is it. This is it. It's like, why the fuck did I even try to, like, get my hopes up of about, like, feeling happy in my life and feeling like, like things have changed. You know, I was just setting myself up to get knocked down yet again. These were the kind of thoughts I was having. All right. I'm not having them right now, but, um, so there was that. And then I would teeter back to like just full blown anxiety. And it was a really specific version of anxiety that I haven't had in, in quite a while. And that is feeling like I'm in trouble. Like, you know, like you're a kid and like you got called to the, to the office at school, like that kind of trouble. And that's like my very specific kind of anxiety. One is being trapped. Um, and that's, I mean, and that's part of depression too, feeling trapped in my circumstances, um, which I, I'm grateful for much of it, but there's also quite a bit that um, I have difficulty finding a positive perspective on. Um, I, I might have trouble finding silver lining in my life sometimes. But I, the specific anxiety that uh I feel like I'm in trouble or I'm about to be in trouble. I mean, like whenever I would get a text message or something, I, I genuinely was afraid that, oh shit, this is going to be somebody, um, who's upset with me because I must have done something wrong. And, uh, and it would be like a text from a friend and it's like, oh God, what did I do? What did this person hear about me? What is there to hear about me? What the fuck did I do? And then I check the message and it's fine. It's, it's a friend who's saying, Hey, maybe I've got a little acting gig for you if you're interested. And, and that's good. Of course I said yes. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I've been teetering and tottering between those two things. And I think the trigger for it was just the fact that I was really disappointed last week about relationship stuff, just love life in general, not even necessarily like one specific instance triggered this, but I went back to like some old habits of, uh, well, old habits. No, no, no. I'm like kind of, um, gaining clarity on some patterns that I've noticed, uh, of which I will elaborate more on Morin after I'll elaborate Dylan Morin after this quick break. Be right back. I'm back. So about this pattern, how do I go about this? I go about it the way I go about this show every fucking time by the seat of my pants. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going for it. And hopefully I catch a through line and it pulls us through in a cogent manner to a meaningful lesson. 
So let's do this. I, I saw earlier today a commercial for some, for some newer movie that came out maybe last year, maybe the year before. It's about some like Scottish family or something. And their daughter goes off to be a wrestler and she meets Dwayne, the rock Johnson. And she's like, clearly, I mean, it's a, it was a commercials 30 seconds. So it just showed a little very short clip, but, um, the daughter, I guess was like geeking out over seeing him and, and maybe feeling intimidated. And he said in the commercial, I, I haven't seen the movie, but in the commercial, he says, don't worry about trying to be me. Worry about you being the first you. And that really spoke to me. You know, I'm not going to knock it. I don't know if the movie is good or not. And I, I don't care that it's like a like a popular thing. I'm not that much. I, I mean, I am certainly pretentious, but I'm not that pretentious. I'm not so pretentious that I'm going to disregard good wisdom when I come across it. I mean, there's wisdom everywhere. You just have to pay attention, pay attention, and you will see it. You will learn the lessons you must learn. And the lessons will always come exactly when you need them to. And my lesson that I needed was uh, to not worry about other people, not worry about feeling like a loser compared to other people, because that honestly, what comes from this loser thing, but me feeling like I should have a certain amount of money or me feeling like I, I should have reached like a certain level of uh, success in my career or something by the age of 32. There is no real timeline. And if anyone tries to tell you that there's a real true timeline on like your career or anything like that, uh, they're probably f inaccurate. I mean, it's sometimes people are right. Sometimes you do have to swallow a bitter pill and accept that maybe, um, maybe you're not going to be a professional basketball player. But other things like uh, for my kind of a career, it's like I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do, like make a movie or something, and like uh, go to more auditions or anything. Like I've tried different things, and it just didn't fucking work. And then, and then if it, it was something that was like super expensive with no, no timeline on it, like, a, like the class, like an acting class, it's like, that shit is really expensive. And if I kept it up, I'd have to get a second job or, or a different day job altogether. But then that would compromise other, uh, it would compromise my time and energy that I enjoy having and devoting to things like writing and doing this podcast. So then it was like, you know, I could either give up on what I've already got going or um, I could quit. I could quit that stuff for this, this maybe thing, this maybe thing that I might stick with and pay a lot of money for and put up with a lot of bullshit for um, in, in hopes that I might find greener pastures in the future. This maybe thing when I've got what I've got right fucking now, you know, I, I feel like, uh, uh, I, I want to stick with or, or make the most of what I know I have instead of what I hope I might have. All right. Let me, let me reiterate that. I want to make the most of what I have and rather, as opposed to giving up what I have, and which is something that I know I can work with, in hopes that I might get something I like in the future, something I don't have, a, a wish. And I've got enough fucking wishes, you know? So I'm kind of afraid to throw away stuff that I have, like my time. Um, time is very, it's worth a lot. Time is worth a lot for everybody because our time is limited. And there are some philosophies that say, live as if you have all the time in the world. And I do that, but it's a teeter totter. I teeter between feeling like I've got all the time in the world 
and I, I teeter that way and I totter back to feeling like I'm out of time, that my time is past, like you got to do something now or give up. Are you completely delusional, James? I don't know. I teeter and totter between those two uh, uh, timelines in my head and I don't know which one to, to trust, but it's led me to where I am and God damn it. I spent like two years. I haven't been writing. Maybe that's part of the problem is I just haven't been writing, not even in my journal, just because I got so wrapped up in all that fucking bullshit um, that I was talking about in the last episode. I got so wrapped up and distracted from myself from focusing on um, being the first me, which is what I told myself I would do before I got into that big fucking mess. I was like, you know, I'm going to record more. I'm going to get back onto writing just because I, I took a break and then a break turned into uh, life getting in the way. And I just got to force myself to start sitting down for an hour a day and just writing again. I mean, shit, I haven't even been trying to get my book published. I wrote a fucking book and I'm still like, I'm going back and I'm still finding stuff that I don't like. But at this point, I feel like I should be sending it out. Um, while also still polishing it along the way. But I think it's got enough polish now to send out. Um, and I haven't been focusing on that. But that's something I want to do. That's something I want to be an accomplished, published author. I'm not joking. I want that. I want to be that. I feel that. It's in me. And I just don't know how to fucking get there. I don't know how to get it out. And I, I don't know how to make that flower bloom, but you can't force a flower to bloom is the thing. So in the meantime, you have to wait and think, is this flower ever going to bloom? Am I overwatering the flower? Am I, not, am I not watering the flower enough? Is it going to stay like this? Is it just dead already? I don't know. Is it going to survive the winter? When I know I don't have as much money and I, I probably won't get it back until like late summer. And then by that time, it's time to give it all away again. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, something. I don't know why I want to talk about this, but relationships, old relationships. I can definitely see I have, um, regretted so much of my behavior in the past of just being distant. And it's funny seeing it now um, that I have grown and grown comfortable with myself to a degree that um, I'm better at communicating and understanding my own emotions now. But um, when I deal with relationships now where someone is being like distant and uncommunicative, um, it's frustrating because that used to be me. I see myself and that person and it gets so fucking annoying to me. I'm like, just talk. But I forget like maybe when I was not talking in my past in previous relationships, um, I, I wasn't intentionally trying to, well, I did. I, I did end up being distant and stuff, but at the time, in my head, I wasn't trying to do that. In my head, I just didn't understand my own emotions and I didn't understand where I was and what I wanted and how it affected me. Um, and I got too far in my head and made bigger deals out of things that weren't a deal at all. Um, and it's interesting to see that when other people do that once I figured out that's what I was doing. Yeah. But I don't know why I want to talk about this, this one specific story. But when I was working at the library, uh, when I was actually, I wasn't 15. I, I think I was 17. Yes. I, I must've been 16 to 17, maybe even to 18. I don't remember how long I worked there, but, um, when I was 17, I was working at the library and I was in 
goth mode. I had, I had like really started to express myself through fashion, uh, through my clothing, um, makeup, music, um, I was goth. I and I fucking still am. I've told you on this show. I'm goth for life. Um but at this point I was like uh, proto goth. I was just becoming. I was becoming. And there was no there were no goth girls in in my school. And so I was like yeah, more lonely. Um and I already felt lonely, but I, I, I guess like I was owning that expression and, and, and expressing it. I, I was owning that, that feeling and expressing it uh, by dressing goth and presenting myself that way. Uh, but one day when I was at work, I saw a goth girl in the library. Now, she... I'm. I'm sorry to say this, but she was, I was not attracted to her. Let me put it like that. I was not, I, I did not find her attractive, but I found the idea of her attractive, which makes sense to me now because that's another girlfriend I had in college, in grad school. She told me that when we were breaking up, she was like, you don't like me. You like the idea of me. And I did not want to understand what that meant, but I totally understood what it meant when she said it to me. But going back to the goth girl at the library when I was 17, um, I was not attracted to her. I was attracted to the idea of her, the fact that she was a goth girl. And um, she was very poor, lived alone with her mother. The mom never once spoke to me. Um, they were Native American, I think probably Creek. Um, and they were very, very poor. And they lived a little bit out of town, kind of on a little ways into a country road, not far off the highway. And when you hear the word squalor, when you hear the phrase living in squalor, this goth girl and her mom were living in squalor. The mom was always just sitting in a chair, staring off into space or staring at a TV, never once spoke, never once even looked at me. She was just there. And it's not like she was like in a coma or anything. I just don't know what her deal was. I, well, I think I do know what her deal was. She probably had some horrible mental health problems that were not diagnosed or treated. It was probably what was up because the floor of this house, you couldn't see it literally, literally not a centimeter of the floor anywhere in the house, except for my goth girlfriend's bedroom there. You could see a bit of the floor, but it was mostly covered with clothes like, any teenage girl's room. Um, but the rest of the house was literally just trash, just old newspapers, just years and years of trash that was just left on the floor and never picked up and, and stepped on just flat um, trash covering the entire fucking floor, even in the kitchen. You could not see the floor. I'm not exaggerating at all. These people were living in squalor. These people were very fucking poor, disenfranchised Native Americans living in a very poor state, Oklahoma. Well, anyway, me and my, my goth girlfriend, we dated for a while. I'd go over to her place I think maybe she came over to our place, my place once. My dad still says that um, she, the goth girl, stole his DVD of Constantine with uh, Keanu Reeves. I don't know. I don't even remember ever bringing her over, but there's a lot of stuff I've forgotten in my life. Um, 
even for what a good memory I have for events, at least. Well, one day, one day, I went over to her house, to the goth girl's house, in the afternoon, after school. I drove out of town just a little bit, uh, just past the border or, or, or the city limit, or the town limits. And I went to her house and her mom was gone. I'd never seen her with her mom not there. Oh, and by the way, this goth girl is the one who took my virginity. Um, and we listened to Nirvana MTV Unplugged when she took my virginity. And it was amazing. It was great. Well, I go over to her house and she's there alone. And I come in and we just start making out. And then she wants me to um, perform cunnilingus on her. And so I do. I pull her pants down. Um, and she tells me, you know, I get consent to go ahead and lick the pussy and, and suck on the clit and all this. The, everything you do when you do cunnilingus. And um, so I just went to work. Started doing my job. And... Um, and it was going pretty well. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> there, I, I do have a lot of insecurity about myself, but there are certain things that I feel confident about myself and, um, my, my skill in cunnilingus, I trust it. I trust it. Um, now sometimes I may be out of practice, <clears throat> hint, hint, out of practice. Um, but it doesn't take me long to learn how to ride that bike again. Anyway, I was performing cunnilingus on my goth girlfriend and, uh, she started reaching climax and she came very hard. She came really hard, so hard. Her eyes rolled up in the back of her head and then closed and, her, her thighs that were kind of quivering started twitching and her whole body kind of shook a bit and then just stopped and her eyes were just closed and she was just like a rag doll, just totally spent breathing deeply. And I, I said her name and I was like, wow, you enjoyed that, huh? No response. Her eyes are still closed. She's still rag doll on the couch in the living room. And I ask her again, no response. I say her name, no response. She isn't moving. I get up, I shake her a little bit. I try to tell her name. I tap on her, on her cheek. I don't want to slap her, but I'm tapping on her cheek and shaking her and saying her name for a good ah, 30 seconds that felt like an eternity. And then eventually her eyes open, they rolled back down and she looks at me and is just totally lost. She had a seizure. When she opened her eyes, she asked me, what are you doing here? And then she realized her pants were down and she got freaked out and told me to, to back off. And I told her what happened. I was like, girlfriend, I've been here for an hour. I've been here for an hour. She's like, when did you get here? An hour ago. We were making out. And then you wanted me to go down on you. And then I, I think you had a seizure and she got freaked out and told me to leave. So I left. Um, and it was kind of traumatic for the rest of that day, but I quickly gained the perspective, uh, the perspective that I needed. I found the silver lining in the situation and that is I, James J. Asher II, literally have and have exerted, exhibited the ability to make someone come so hard they had a seizure. And on that, I will, I'm going to take another quick break and I've got an idea of how to wrap this all up. I'll be right back. And I'm back. So wrapping this all together, I, I found some type of through line. My goth girlfriend was 
witchy. She was a witch. Um, I didn't want to believe it. I was extremely skeptical of it. She said that there were two ghosts that were around her all the time. One um, that she talked to, who's usually in her room. And then another, like a little girl ghost, who would just kind of follow her sometimes and appear. Um, and I was just like, okay, this chick's fucking crazy. But some weird shit would happen in that house that I don't know how to explain other than ghosts. I mean, I've seen, I would frequently see something like, like a, a wad of socks, like a couple socks wadded together like you do, just sort of uh, project themselves, um, uh, like someone picked them up and tossed them. I saw it with my own two eyes, these fucking objects lifted and just tossed. Not, not like in a violent way, but just stuff moving that should not have been moving on their own. And it certainly was not a, a wind draft at all. Like there was some weird shit and I still remained skeptical, but she would tell me these things and she'd have like this sort of prescience that I did not want to believe, but it was too fucking real. And there's no other way to explain it other than, well, it was probably prescience and ghosts and shit like that. So she was witchy. And um, I, I was getting pretty much sick of her, especially when I was about to go to college. And I went to Denver for two weeks in the summer to just visit my brother. And we partied and stuff. I, I was... 18 at this time. And, um, he took me to this club that you could get in at, at the age of 18. It was called the church. It was this really cool, like old Gothic looking Presbyterian church kind of near downtown Denver. And the main, it was just such a cool club. And there were different sections with different types of music. There was a hip hop section, but the main floor was just played a lot of really good, like house trance, uh, drum and bass kind of, um, techno. We didn't call it EDM at the time. It was techno in in 2006. And, um, so I was 18 and we're, we're at this club at the church and he takes me down to the basement because I'm goth mode. And in the basement was a goth club. And he was there and he stuck around for a little bit, but then he got bored and he was like, I, I'm going to get home. Um, you know how to get home from here, right? And I, I was like, yeah, I know which buses to take and all that stuff. And so I, he, he leaves and I'm just there by myself. And I go out onto like the smoking patio area. And oh, oh I remember there was this chick I saw dancing on the floor, this really hot goth chick who I, I wasn't turned on just by the idea of her. I was turned on by her. I mean, she was smoking hot and a goth girl. And I was really into that. And so, and, and she was like on the dance floor and she was like giving me this intense, like fuck me look with her eyes. And so what do I do? but go dance with her. So I dance with her and then she's like, I'm going outside for a cigarette. Do you want to join? And I said, sure. I wasn't smoking at this time. I hadn't started smoking yet. Um, but I join her outside and she has a friend there who, um, he was a cross dresser. He didn't like identify as trans or transgender or anything like that. He called himself a cross dresser. So I'm calling him a cross dresser. Because that's what he introduced himself as. That was his identity. Was a crossdresser, funny enough, who was just visiting Denver from Austin, Texas, where he was living and going to college. You know how weird is that? I'm living in Austin now, and I met this chick in Denver, and she had a, a friend, a, a guy crossdressing friend, who was visiting from Austin, Texas. Well, I'm talking to them and uh, and the girl, and they're both flirting with me, and you know, fuck it, I'm flirting back um, because around this time I was like kind of questioning if I might be bisexual too, and. Um, and so, but I was definitely more, see someone, it's like, I'm like 
90% hetero, 10% bi, maybe. Uh, the percentage changes on, you know, how attracted I am to you, but 90% of the time I'm attracted to women, probably more. Um, actually, I'm always attracted to women. I find some men attractive, but I don't want to do anything with them. And I certainly don't want to like be in a relationship with them. I just appreciate beauty when I see it. Um, but as far as my, my natural proclivity for like sexy stuff, um, that goes toward women. Um, and so I got this new goth girls number and, and they were about to leave and I was about to leave. And she was like, Hey, I can give you a ride, um, back to your brother's apartment if you want. Cause I told her I was visiting with my brother and I said, yeah, sure. Uh, it's not too far from here. So she drove me and her friend from Austin stayed back cause he wanted to continue partying at the goth club or goth portion of that club. And, uh, the girl drives me back to the apartment. Um, she says, um, can I come upstairs? And I say, yeah, sure. And, um, we get there and we're very quiet. Fortunately, my brother's asleep and we let ourselves in. We stay quiet and we fool around a bit. And it was really good, really good fooling around. And, um, and then she left when we were done with that. And I just, I felt great. I had myself a little, uh, um, fling, a little travel fling with this, with this other goth girl. And, um, and we just texted back and forth and we'd hang out during this, the whole like two weeks that I was there. And, um, I did end up in a, um, not regrettably, but a thankfully interrupted three-way with her and her friend from Austin at their weed dealer's house in the basement. Um, thank God that got cut short because it started going in a direction that I, um, kind of told me, uh, I guess I'm not by, <laughs> let's, let's just say I, I kind of learned, uh, pretty quickly that, um, yeah, I just want sexy stuff with women. And, um, and so, well, anyway, I was talking to this girl and we were getting along great. And both of us were like, it sucks that I have to leave. And she's like, it sucks that you have to leave. She was a dominatrix too, by the way. Uh, I forgot to mention that. So I was hanging out with a cross dresser from Austin and a really hot dominatrix. And, um, and she wasn't like, I, I wasn't like a client. Like she genuinely liked me and we were clicking and stuff. And we were both like, you know, if I lived here, uh, I think I wouldn't mind like being in a relationship with you. And she was all about that. But eh, it was just a little summer fling. Eh. And um, well, at some point I'm checking my emails and I see I've got an email from my goth girlfriend back in Oklahoma. Now, we never, ever had the talk that we were exclusive. And by the time uh, summer rolled around, I was definitely distancing myself from her, uh, but not ever really talking about it. But we never talked. We never called each other, this is my girlfriend or this is my boyfriend. We never had any talk about being exclusive to one another, even though we just were, uh, we didn't have that talk or anything. There was no definition there. Um, no conversation about that. And so I just figured like, I'm going to drift away because this girl creeps me the fuck out. Well, um, I get an email from her after I've been having several great days with this Denver goth girl, the dominatrix. And uh, she was 19. I was 18. Um, just so you know, <laughs> um, well, I get an email from Oklahoma goth and she says, you're fucking someone else. I know you are. How did she know? Because she's a fucking witch and she has prescience. And I think she put a curse on me because from then on, I've had relationships that have had recurring difficulties and I've worked, I've gone to therapy on things and it's like, okay, I just 
there are some things that I'm bringing in and then there are other things that just keep fucking happening outside of my control, outside of my influence. I'm just a magnet for certain types of issues and certain relationships. Although I've worked through a lot of them, thankfully, a lot of it has to do with just maturing, getting older. Um, but there are still some problems. And I sometimes wonder if my goth not girlfriend in Oklahoma put some kind of curse on me. I really suspect it sometimes. And I remember one time when I was in grad school, not long after um, my, my hippie girlfriend, uh, Janice Joplin, dumped me and said that I didn't like her. I liked the idea of her. Not long after that, I went out alone to the bar. I got really drunk and walked back to my car to make a short drive back home. I do not endorse drinking and driving folks, but I was making poor decisions. Okay. Young making poor decisions. But during my walk, uh, my very drunk walk from the bar back to my car across a few blocks, getting fresh air, I swear to God, I saw and it was like wobble vision. And I, but I saw the goth girlfriend sitting on some stoop underneath a closed shop, uh, on the little stoop up to a closed shop. And there was a, like a light over the stoop. And I saw her there. Like, it's like she wanted me to find her. You know, I fucking saw her. And I don't know if it was a hallucination or not. I don't know if she was really there, but... I think she really was there. I don't, I think it doesn't matter if to anyone else she was sitting there. Like if someone else were looking at me, just making my stumble walk back to my car, if they were watching me, they might not have seen anyone sitting on the stoop I passed, but I saw someone on the stoop. So for me, I saw it and I experienced it, even if it was a delusion, even if it was a dream, even if it was a, a hallucination, um, a projection of a fevered mind, I saw it, I experienced it, therefore, it was part of my reality, and it was real, and I looked at her, and she gave me this laugh, and she used to do this like creepy laugh, like, <laughs> very witchy. Well, she let out this piercing witchy cackle when we made eyes. I saw her and she knew she was waiting for me. And I saw her and I like took a step back and looked shocked and she just started cackling. And I just kept walking because I wasn't sure if that was her or not. It was one of those things. But why else would a stranger make eye contact? Why else would a person make eye contact and cackle like that? And it's interesting, it's interesting um, because I'm reading a, a book by Carlos Castaneda about the, uh, the lessons of Don Juan. And in it, he's describing this, this witch woman, this sorceress, who does a very exact same thing to Carlos Castaneda. And it tripped me out because it was like, holy shit, I experienced it. And he's dealing with Native Americans. She was a Native American. I was dealing with Native American stuff. I mean, there's some real power in Oklahoma, especially when it comes to Native American things and the nature. There are things there that uh, Judeo-Christian Europeans try not to conceive. But there are powers, man. There are powers in the wilderness. And uh, I think my witchy goth not girlfriend understood those powers and communed with them. And when I finally got home from my, my drunk drive home, I get back and I'm totally freaked out. And I just feel like she's outside my, my window, just waiting, watching, knowing, even though I have the blinds closed. And I sometimes wonder, did she put a curse on me? Like some kind of a love curse? Did she make things difficult? I'll never know. But if you want to help me out, you can uh, toss some money my way via patreon.com slash that thing with James. You can donate as little as a dollar. 
And I'm also going to start doing some things for the, for the Patreons. I think I only have one right now, but I'm going to start putting out once a week, very short stories for patrons. So if you want to read my very short stories and I will make sure they're entertaining, uh, become a donor at patreon.com slash that thing with James. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at James J. Asher. Uh, you're always welcome to slide into my DMs. Say hi. I'm, I'm pretty uh, open and approachable. Uh, or you can email me if you have a story or subject you would like me to cover on the show. If you are in need of advice and would like me to give some advice on the show, you can email me at thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. I also have a website, jamesjasher.com, with a little blog there. And um, for the listeners, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show. Um, uh, Apple Podcast listeners, please rate and review the show. That helps other people find me. Um, For YouTubers, if you haven't already, please subscribe to my channel. Uh, Like the videos you like. Write a comment. And for all of you, please share the show with your friends, your coworkers, your family, share it with everybody. Even if they, you know they won't like it, at least make them watch it. I want to spread like the coronavirus in people's consciousness. Okay? I love you all so much. Thank you for tuning in yet again. And we will meet next week. Bye-bye.